Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. We're now exclusively a part of the SCU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ken Engel, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, SCU Chief of Staff. And again, we are excited to welcome back a guest who's been on uh, Framework Leadership before. Uh, Great to have Brian Kilmeade with us. Uh, As you know, over the last, well, 20 years, Brian has immersed himself in the national landscape in a variety of roles, including co-host of Fox & Friends, currently is the host of The Brian Kilmeade Show, and What Make America Great with Fox News. He has also made significant impact as an author and historian exploring the impact of, of our founding fathers on today's society. Brian, again, it's an honor to have you on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Now, uh, to start our conversation off, I mean, you're obviously a a huge believer, not only in America, but our past leaders who have literally built this country from the ground up. Why is it important for us to shine a spotlight on the morals and and values of our past leaders who represented this nation so well? Well, I mean, I I never thought when you write a history book, you you thought you'd uh, tap into something that if you follow the news, you're probably interested in history and maybe people be interested in finding out about these times. But now all of a sudden you have people trying to qualify you as uh, qualify you as a uh, uh, qualify America as a, as an exceptional nation, qualify our past, even just, even just because it's not perfect. Doesn't, it doesn't mean it isn't special. and isn't great. Right. So every time I put these books out, you know, I end up half the time explaining the books, the other half explaining that these so-called average everyday Americans did extraordinary things to build this country up to where it is. It doesn't mean they're perfect. Right. It seems like with this generation just spends all their time ripping, uh, ripping our past down, yeah. literally sometimes by the, by the statue. Yeah. And why do you think that is? Why, why are people so interested in kind of re retelling our story or re trying to make things fit into kind of a new narrative? I'm not one of them, so I can't answer for them, yeah. but I think it's arrogance. Yeah. Uh, this generation knows everything. Oh, look at what! Look at how enlightened we are. Look at how uh, the women didn't have equal rights with men in the 1700s. Wow, we're the only country to have problems uh, mm-hmm. with male and female equity in the 18th century. Yeah. Oh, really? There was an issue of women didn't vote till 1919. I wish it was sooner. But nobody, almost nowhere around the world, with these things happening. Instead of going back in. Uh, time and studying it, we're judging it. And that's what, that's something within the last five years. Right. I just don't get it. Yeah, yeah. You know, with your experience as an author, you've written multiple bestsellers now with the topic pertaining to our founding fathers. What kind of uh, ultimate message do you want readers to get from these books? Well, number one, I mean, each, each one is special. Um, I'm attached to it. But these guys in particular... They came from nowhere. They had absolutely no connections. There was no social safety net. Nobody would have bet on them in their youth and said, these two will lead us on the most important time in our nation's history. Nobody would have said, oh, that that teenager, uh, that slave who already got caught trying to escape once in Frederick Douglass, who knew how to talk and found a way to read and write, would someday be the leading think thought leader, not only in this country, but around the world. I mean, there are statues of Frederick Douglass in England, in Ireland, in Scotland as well as Germany. That's just off the top of my head. I mean, that's what kind of impact he made. And this guy was never knew his parents, never knew his birthday. And you know what horrific lives uh, mm-hmm. slaves lived uh, back then. And then nobody would have bet on Abraham Lincoln. This yeah. guy, mom died at nine years old, abject poverty, born in the middle of nowhere, had to move twice uh, before, he was, uh, before he was even se- seven years old. Dad drove him, was uh, ridiculing mm-hmm. him every time he tried to read and write. 
one year of formal education, who would think they'd be the most, I would say, two of the most important people in American history? Yeah. And, and, and in your most recent book, The President and the Freedom Fighter, uh, Fighter you, you dig into the history of both Abraham Lincoln and F- Frederick Douglass. Tell us a little bit about the book, your inspiration behind these uh, two particular or specific stories in, in it. Well, I mean, they're, I, the, the challenge of this was two stories at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and then also outlining what's happening in the country. I mean, we're a country that couldn't come up with, agree on everything in order to lace together these 13 colonies into one country. So every state made compromises. Even Virginia was willing to give up slaves, but uh, South Carolina was not. Mm-hmm. So they said, let's leave it, let's sunset this out. But this was the festering problem. I mean, the stories that line up when uh, Frederick Douglass emerges, uh, already this country is starting to come apart as it started to expand with free and slave states. Texas gets admission into the Union. It, yeah. it, it uh, un, you know, unhinges the balance between free and slave states. Uh, then when it comes to elections, South was not fighting for the North candidates and vice versa. You talk about division. Uh, this is nothing compared to how we were divided back then. Mm-hmm. And then I think one of the stories that you get is you see these people just determined to do this thing we're arguing about today, education. Yeah. You could not keep Frederick Douglass or Abraham Lincoln away from a book. Mm-hmm. They were doing they were doing homework for people. They will try they were they were a hawk. They would walk miles just to get a magazine or a newspaper. They thirsted for knowledge. We're debating on what to teach kids. They just wanted to learn anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I think that comes through the need for education the need to understand other people's point of views and the need to understand that America was based uh, as a great country mm-hmm. that needs to get better. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln, they, they have this um, incredible story where they're actually kind of weaving in and out of each other's journey of fighting for the same thing. Tell us a little bit more about their relationship. How did they get to know each other and then really develop this kind of uh, unified goal that they're working towards? Well, I mean, what it is, they didn't get to know each other directly mm-hmm. until the president's last year and a half of his presidency. But what happened is Frederick Douglass, as unfathomable as it is, born a slave, never knew his parents, knew some of his relatives. and didn't have a horrendous uh, early, early childhood. But then he would sold off and lent off and he would go to different houses and have to take care of houses. Then when he was finally out in the field, uh, he, he would take a beating. Mm-hmm. The moment that changed for Frederick Douglass is that he was uh, lent out, Thomas Old uh, lent him out, and he was uh, basically rented and leased for a few months. Hmm. And this guy was brutal. He would drive him, drive him into the ground. One day, the way he described it in his own autobiography, he passed out. He had no, they never fed him. He was uh, dehydrated. He passed out. So the guy starts, starts whipping him. He tries to get up and run. He ends up getting out into the woods. He runs back to his original owner. Hmm. And the owner comes out and says, listen, Thomas Old, you can stay here the night, but you got to go back. That's the deal. I already, uh, this is the money I already got. You got to go back. So he goes, and it was time for this so-called slave breaker. His name was Edward Covey to break him. The guy who knew that arena right and knew one of the few slaves to do that and knew what life could be as opposed to what he was living. Yeah. So when he entered the barn, he went to jump him. He fights back and they fight for over two hours, according to his autobiography. And the guy, he basically beat Kobe uh, senseless, this teenager. Mm-hmm. Now, he's got a choice. Does he report Douglas and Frederick, Frederick Bailey there? And does he go to the cops and just have this guy hung? But there goes his reputation as the slave breaker, the man to be feared, the man where who gets the slaves and gets paid to rein them in, those so-called wild men who wanted freedom. And they decided he's going to keep it quiet and never would bother Douglas again. 
Mm. And here's what Frederick uh, Ben Bailey said. The rest of my life, even if it costs me my life, I will never take a backward step mentally, emotionally, or physically ever again. Mm. And he wouldn't ever again because he restored his sense of pride and purpose. Oh. And I think we can all learn from that. Yeah. Not in the brutality of the slave slavery in, in the deep South in America, but in, you know, you got to stand for something. And the self-esteem that grows from that and how people are attracted mm. to you because of that changed his life forever. And he would get pulled back into Baltimore. He learned to caulk. He learned to trade. And then at the right moment, he would skate, try to escape once. And the second time it would work, he'd end up in New York. And he had this great line. He said, I found myself in New York free, free from shelter, free from food, and free from any place to go or knowing anybody at all. Wow. And then he managed to get somebody else in the Underground Railroad that got him into a place to sleep. He ended up married and uh, living in Massachusetts, working on the docks, doing his own Bible studies, essentially, wow. helping uh, African-Americans see the future and read the Bible and understand it. And then when he was asked to speak one time by chance, William Lloyd Garrison was there, who had an abolitionist newspaper called The Liberator. And he watched this guy who, we don't have a tape of him, but he sounds like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and Muhammad Ali. Wow. He was motivational, he was sarcastic and inspirational. And he saw the potential. And he said, you know, how can someone this smart be this eloquent and with this vocabulary? And, he, and no one believed he was a slave. He took off his shirt. He said, look at my back. Wow. And then Lloyd Garrison basically gave, a, gave him a speaking deal. And from that moment, he began to cut his own way, write his own biography seven years later, become internationally known as a speaker and thinker. But instead of just worrying about himself, he came back to free the four million more. Mm. And he would push and prod, start his own notes, people called the North Star, and then push and prod America to live up to its constitution, not rip up its constitution. Wow, that's so good. A powerful story. And the president of the Freedom Fighter discusses the evolution of, uh, I know, differences between two individuals being set aside for the greater good of the country. And ultimately, American right. history uh, was changed afterwards. So I, I know you, you know, I, I know, you know, we're missing this ability to set aside differences in our nation today. How can we fix that? Or can we ever fix that in, in our current context? Uh, I, I do. I do think that. Just to, to finish off on, on Lincoln, never really disagreed with Douglas, but they just weren't in the same place. Yeah. When you were white or you were black, they were different. Hmm. He wasn't He wasn't a slave owner. He believed everyone should be free, but back then he didn't think everything was equal. Even Benjamin Franklin didn't until he watched hmm. these African-American kids get an education. Hmm. They get an education, you realize they have the same potential as white kids. Stuff that we know now, yeah. they didn't know that. Right? Yeah. That's they, they were born into a society. They didn't choose that. Yeah. So when, when he becomes a statesman and a leader, he basically runs as a Republican for the first and he gets into office, but he can't just free the slaves. Doug is like, why not? Well, you gotta, you know, you gotta do it. He goes, no, because I don't have a country to lead. The North wasn't there yet. Hmm. So with Douglas to real, to, to cut to the chase to Douglas learn to realize that if, if Lincoln did exactly what he said as an activist and abolitionist, he would not have been president. Uh, it certainly wouldn't have won re-election, but they all, but they both accomplished the same objective. Hmm. Sadly, we needed a war, the death of almost seven hundred thousand people, but that was the only way to get it done. If you do it Douglas idealistic way, and you understand it, he wouldn't have had a country to lead. Hmm. And then Douglas, when he finally met him and see him, and this gets to your question, all the preconditions and the and the premonitions about each other and what they stood for melted away once he saw him. And Frederick Douglass writes, when I saw 
President Lincoln, way too big for the chair he was sitting in, Mm -hmm. wearing every year of the war on his face, I realized he definitely earned uh, the nickname Honest Abe. I saw nothing but humanity and honesty in him even before he spoke. And when they spoke, the way they listened to each other and grew, and he talked about different things they're going to do, and getting on a timetable to let blacks fight for their own freedom, Mm -hmm. and letting uh, this abolitionist movement move south, and having the emancipation actually released, they realized they were on the same, they had the same beliefs, just on a different schedule. Mm-hmm. And they started working together and Douglas started recruiting for him and started even though his own sons joined the 54th Massachusetts Infantry that fought in South Carolina and all through the, uh, brilliantly, but it was mm-hmm. to uh, characterize in the movie Glory. And what I think gets to your question is how do we heal the divide? Right. A lot of their divide was healed by talking and listening. Mm-hmm. See, one thing Lincoln was known, not known as a great thinker because he was a great listener. He didn't come into conversations, it seems, not being, you know, without the inability to be convinced mm-hmm. that this is what I want to do, this is what I think I'm going to do, as opposed to this is what I'm definitely doing. And then when you listen to someone like Seward, for the most flagrant example, and the most famous, so his secretary of state wants him to free the slaves, but he also knows there's a time he was governor of New York, he ran mm-hmm. for president, he understands statesmanship, yeah. and then he says, finally, he goes, hey, uh, you know, Mr. Secretary, I, I'm ready to do it. Let's do the emancipation. He said, no, Mr. President, it looks desperate. We've lost every major battle. It'll look like a desperate move. Wait for a major win. And what Antietam was was a tough one, but it was a win. Yeah. And he said, now. Hmm. So if he was bullheaded and cocky and confident, hmm. even though he was the smartest guy in the room, he would not have done that. Mm-hmm. But if you are smart and well-read, That means you're not defensive. You're open to input and to listening. And what I get a lot when on this book tour, especially, is that people say to me, you know, I go to these, my relatives, I listen to them talk, and it's so sickening, and I I don't agree with them, and it's so tense. I go, what is your advice? I go, my advice is to listen. Never get emotional. Never raise your voice. Because the minute you do that, you've lost. Even if you feel you're right and you are right, Mm -hmm. right, you lost. And if you're confident in your argument, you do not need to lose your temper and that, to me, comes across over and over again with, with Lincoln, especially. Yeah. You know, Lincoln had all these letters ready to go, and he never mailed a lot of them. Because, you know, I wrote them, they're there, maybe now's not the time to write it. Maybe it's not time to fight this general. Because he was open to questioning himself from the input he set up around him because he had, he had quiet confidence. And I, I wasn't there, mm-hmm. okay? But just from everything that's been written, quiet confidence in his intellect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that's it. And you know what, what I love about this, you know, the story you kind of paint is you have, you have Frederick Douglass who's, who's doing the he's doing the extreme work of changing the national mood, uh, mood, right? Changing the national opinion about these things. He's going out, he's speaking. Then you've got Lincoln, who's actually getting his hands dirty, doing the legislative work, the actual grunt work. And so one moves slower than the other, but you don't get change without both. And so what advice would you give to people out there? You know, they're, they're watching the news, they're seeing all these different kind of extreme ideas, but they're like, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about stepping into office. I want to go into it, but maybe it's slower. Maybe I don't know if that's the right thing to do. What kind of advice would well, you give to those kind of that people? Well, a lot of Republicans story? not going to like this, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, I actually think that we need somebody more in the center. Yeah, I think that we need as a leader somebody more in the center. This can't be an all or nothing election process anymore. Yeah, you know, Republicans and Democrats are all waiting to get sixty votes and get the majority in the House and the presidency, and they're going to ram everything right down the other side's throat. Right. And that may feel good for a year. 
But then you're going to lose the midterms. Right. And then there's going to be redemption. Yep. And guess who loses? The country. Right. Yeah. So when I see Joe Manchin say, uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't know why we would be spending so much right now. Why do you think I'm going to go for these wild spending programs? I'm a moderate. Mm -hmm. I'm from a red state. And I thought, wow, we haven't heard that. We've right. heard, according to reports behind the scenes, Joe Manchin made it clear he wouldn't vote for this, but he get in front of the camera and there's something different to say. Can you imagine if you have a leader that said, hey, you know what? Uh, I would love to cut taxes right now, but I can't continue to fund defense at this rate and be able to, to, to keep people going with this the PPE uh, mm -hmm. loans that we were forced to put out last year if I cut taxes right now. Every Republican would go, oh, my goodness, you said you're going to cut taxes. Yeah. Reagan, cut taxes. Mm -hmm. But if we were more ju judicious mm -hmm. and patient with our politicians, we wouldn't be getting such extremes on both sides. I think we, you know, this infrastructure deal was balanced to the right, uh, to the left. Mm -hmm. Guess what? It was bipartisan. It was balanced to the left because they won the Senate and the House and the presidency. Mm -hmm. But balanced to the left, we can live with mm. the next package way to the left. Yeah doesn't benefit anyone except the extreme bernie mm. sanders faction right, party right. which is about this big right so that doesn't help the country as soon as we get a man or woman in office that cares more about the country than their party yeah then i think we're going to see a lot of these problems melt away yeah that's so good and be willing to lose an election yeah. be willing to lose to do the right thing wow yeah, no, that's good. Well, we want to respect your time, so we're going to move into our fire round. And as you know, you've been on this before. We ask you a few quick questions surrounding everything we kind of just discussed. Uh, just wanting to grab a few practical and applicable pieces of advice for our experiences uh, and our listeners' experiences. So let's begin. Michael, fire a question away. Yeah, if you could uh, go back in time and, any, any, and witness any historical event in person itself, what would it be and why? Um. I would like the second inaugural of Lincoln. This way I could spot John Wilkes Booth in the crowd and beat his head in. There it is. <laughs> Stop Which, it. by the way, he was in the crowd. Right. He was they, in the crowd. They wow. show him there. Wow. Yeah, I think he's done more damage than any single person in our nation's history. I mean, could you if imagine? You combine Grant with Douglas and him. We, if, we, we, if he lived through the 1860s and maybe to run a third term, we wouldn't have needed the 1960s. No, no, no. Wow. I mean, in Reconstruction would have been completely different. We would have a whole different vision for the South, a whole a different vision. A sincere leader at the top who knew it needed to be done instead of a, right. a raging racist who said, I don't really need to have fought that war. Right. Yeah. All right. Andrew Johnson. Yeah. Here's the second question Which founding father or historical figure was the most influential public speaker, in your opinion? Well, probably Jackson, from what I know. Uh, because Jackson was the first one to bring his case to the people and actually campaign. Uh -huh. They say that he would go out after he lost his first election. The second one, he would go out and have lithographs handed out of him in uniform and sell himself as a man of the people and a major general of the people mm. who was a war hero. And everyone's like, wow, he's packaged himself, you know, and, <laughs> and that began the campaigning instead of this is what I do. Vote for how you want. Let me know if I want. Right. And Jackson won and campaigned for the job because he knew his his popularity was not in Washington. It was outside Washington. Love it. Yeah, Love it. If there's one key idea you would want your readers to take away from this book specifically in America to hear from this book, what would it be? Number one, you don't have to know somebody to be somebody. Mm. You don't have to have a lot of money to end up living in infamy. And no, no generation is the same. But if these two 
men can come from obscurity to live in infamy. It should give people hope that the American dream is even e- easier to achieve now than it was then. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you know, but as they were moving west, there was no social safety net. Right. Uh, and and I don't know if you're a if you're a slave in freedom, uh, there was no program that they could sign up for. They just found a way. I think Jackson, in a way, is the same way. When you lose, when you're an orphan kid in the middle of a war, mm. uh, in the middle of a town, if you're not, if you don't get that town to pitch in and raise you, and, and the only place that probably that would have been possible, and that's America. Um, we don't have this war hero, two term president. Even if you don't like Jackson as a president. You cannot dismiss him. Mm. Uh, the Jacksonian era was named after him. It wasn't coincidence. Yeah, no. And I'll tell you, I mean, we use the phrase divine design around here, uh, and, and, and we do. We encourage and challenge our students, walk in your design, man, follow Follow that passion, those dreams, those gifts, and uh, and you can have an influence and an impact. So grateful for your voice, Brian. So thankful uh, that you're writing these books and giving us the perspective that you're giving us. And again, uh, principles, um, values that we can apply even today in our context to make it a better future. That's for sure. If you want to stay up to date with Brian, you can follow him on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Same handle, at Killmead. And hey, for more leadership content, check us out on Instagram at Kent underscore Ingle or at Twitter, Ken Ingle. You can also check out our website, KenIngle.com. Subscribe to our newsletter. Get fresh leadership content to your inbox every single week. And hey, if you're watching us on YouTube right now, hit that follow button, hit that subscribe button so you can get more leadership content in your feed every single week. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody. Bye.